I think that a lot of people do know some Aboriginal people that just don't realise it. You look at my mum, she's English. You look at my dad, he's Aboriginal. And look at me, I'm a bit in between. <laughs> I haven't got the flat nose anymore. I sometimes wish I did. You know, just because I'm Aboriginal doesn't mean I have a flag tattooed to my forehead. Like most of them call me Auntie Lynn, and I'm happy to be their auntie, even though that I'm not. Because I am Aboriginal because of my DNA, not because of my lingo. I am Aboriginal because of my DNA, not because of my lingo. Meet the Mob, a podcast from 1233 ABC Newcastle with Jill Emerson. Subscribe at abc.net.au slash newcastle. Today for Meet the Mob, I'm with Scott Franks, a Wanarua man, born and raised in Singleton, and I think, Scott, the most successful native title claimant in the entire Hunter Valley ever. Is that right? I think it'll be pretty close. It's a pretty significant native title claim that's been registered and nothing like that has ever been done in the Hunter Valley Basin. It's a big claim. What does it cover exactly? The claim covers an area of approximately 9,500 square kilometres. It's um, basically the catchment within the Great Dividing Ranges, Liverpool Ranges, down the major rivers coming out of the Barringtons, under Yango, back across to the um, back of the Putty, back into the Ranges. So it's a pretty big area. It takes out Mostly the townships of Singleton, Musselbrook, Dungog, Maitland and the Upper Hunter Shire councils and so on. We've gone through the uh, native title registration process where we've presented a document to the National Native Title Tribunal asserting that we are the rightful people of those areas and they've agreed that the information we've provided now is substantially enough to ensure or to give us a registration which now triggers the native title process which is ultimately a full determination such as Eddie Marmbo. You've got a claim registered. What does that mean in terms of all of the land within that 900,000 square kilometres? Look, in short, um, farmers, people who own their homes, they are simply not claimable. It's simple as that. There's no risk to Mr Farmer, Mrs Farmer, Mr and Mrs House Owner. Absolutely none. So these people should not worry. What land can you claim or do anything with? Crown land. It's simply that. Reserves, national parks, travelling stock reserves and things like that. Crown Road access roads and those type of things. And are you able to claim ownership of it? A little bit far down the track, but I think ultimately with a determination or an agreement, an Indigenous land use agreement, there would be an element of co-management, transfer of certain lands and so on. But that all comes down, obviously that's a bit further down the track. Um, If there's a a position where um, through the negotiations, if they get to that stage, that that would be then an element on the table. We now have knowledge of all Crown land assets within the claimed area and certain parcels of land and we're slowly prioritising those parcels as we speak. Is there a lot? An enormous amount, yes. Why has there been so many different voices representing Aboriginal people up the Hunter Valley? Because we we all as Aboriginal people have been moved into locations and places by the missions in the early days. A lot of people have an historical connection to certain areas and Unfortunately, a lot of the traditional laws and customs have been sort of nulled down by people asserting to speak for country simply by an historical association or just a presence as an Aboriginal person. The realisation now that those people need to now understand is, is within that registered claimed area, we are the Wanneroo people. The Plains clans of the Wanneroo people have gone through a process, whether it be a white man's process or not, we've went through that process and provided ample evidence to demonstrate who we are They were given the opportunity by publicly advertised meetings. The end result was the the claimant group was brought together once and for all. 
there was a sounding uh, and supported position to authorise myself and Rob Lester to lodge the claim on behalf of the Wannaroo people. It's an incredibly honourable position to be in. And um, with that, we proceeded to, to the plan and, and the end result is the claim's registered. So you've been able to prove that you and your ancestors have come from a continuous line of connection to the land that you've successfully claimed? That's correct. One of the primary objectives of native title to get it registered is a, it's an element called the prima facie case to establish a continued connection to a specific area. Our claim, um, once it was put together, was able to demonstrate clear evidence that there was numerous locations within and around that, hundreds of locations I might add, to show that certain family lines not only came from those areas but today are still in those areas. Most of those families, let it be known to the, the general populace, is that some of these people are still living on the land and, and, and still utilising the land and that, that further demonstrates a continued connection in, in what we used to do. Are they all Franks? No, they're certainly not. There's, there's quite a few of them in there. I, I, you Tell know. me some of the families. Well, there's the, uh, there's the Lesters in there, there's um, the Ward through Wanderer Ward, uh, Arnie Barb's line through um, Maria and David Foote. Um, there's obviously my mob in there. And those families then break down. Obviously, there's been marriages that have been accepted because we're not in a position to challenge someone who married someone else. I mean, that was back then those decisions were made. But um, clearly the, the auspice of or the, the beginning or the embryonic stage of the claim does go back to around 1830 um, to specifically two families and from those families there's been obviously marriages and the families have expended. It's interesting Scott because I think Australia is now a bit familiar with the Eddie Marbo story mm. so I'm guessing based from that then that you and and the others involved in your claim had to go through a similar sort of journey gathering documents I don't know going to libraries speaking to family to really piece together a legally cogent story to prove your connection. Is that what you did? Yes, there was a, um, a very, very um, precise process when it came to the research. But the research is only one part of it because what we found, obviously having unlimited access in the State Library to go through a lot of this information, we were able to identify and, and take copies of certain documents that clearly demonstrate certain individuals or families that are asserting to be one or real clearly are not. Um, we also have a copy of the Inland uh, Missions list of who went on what reserves and wherever they went to in missions, so we, we clearly know where people came from. But within saying that, there is also an element of separation from people who were taken from their family, had different names, different parents, weren't recorded, but were definitely bloodlined to the claim group. And the way we structured the claim, those people are protected. The claim isn't about the claimants, it is about the group. For Meet the Mob today, Scott Franks is my guest. He's a Wanarua man, born and raised in Singleton, who, along with Rob Lester, registered the most successful native title claim in the Hunter Valley ever. You made the point there, Scott, that it's not about individuals, but nonetheless, you just described details of individuals' lives right here in the valley that are quite incredible, piecing together a jigsaw of... Australian history that may not have been pieced together before. Oh yes, we um, spent a bit of time in the Strait Library. I think we've got our own desk there, to be honest. Um, look, I think it's a, it's a, it's been a very unique and incredibly um, humbling position to be in to actually see some 
archival evidence that was that was handwritten on the day by individuals who are very instrumental in opening this country up. And having access to those documents is something that cannot be looked seen lightly. And just having access alone to view those is, is incredibly, incredibly humbling. I just, I can't put into words how significant that emotionally um, is. That's your family history, that's Hunter history. It certainly is. The Hunter's been here for a long time and it was certainly had a, a big crosshair put on it from when those tall ships first pulled up in Sydney. Um, without a doubt, the intention of entering the interior was very much on the mind of the British at the time. <laughs> Growing up as an Aboriginal person up the valley in Singleton, did you have any sense that there was this wrong that you had to right? Oh, look, it was pretty interesting, actually, because when we were putting the claim together, you know, I was sort of confronted with um, a very archivalistic, sterile approach. <laughs> and uh, the question was asked to me, stop. It was simply, what did you do when you were a child? And that then opened a door of, of, um, to me that I didn't realise that as I grew up running around the farm um, in the bush, I was actually being taught and it was only until I was mature enough to understand that that it really came to fruition. And I think the turning point was one day, I actually remember my father, a fella turned up, a couple of fellas trying to find out information and it was, um, it was the, the kickoff of native title in the Hunter Valley and my dad was pretty concerned about that. He actually chased these people down to the next door neighbours and he made some comments that was sort of something I wouldn't like to repeat today. From that point on, I was only about 13 or 14 at the time, I, you know, I often, I then seen how there was this clear non-acceptance or acknowledgement of the people who were rightfully from that area. And there was always this yearning or I think hole to try and figure out what that was and it was only until I started looking at the native title stuff and being an ex-chair of a lands council and understanding the destruction of Aboriginal heritage that sort of pointed my nose towards Aboriginal archaeology and looking at that was when I realised that there's, there's more to this than just running around the paddock because people are looking for stones in a paddock. They're not understanding what happened here. There's no, and if you look at the Hunter Valley, you know, there's several massacre sites that don't even get on the radar. You know, there's, there's birthing sites, there's ceremonial sites, there's quarry grounds, aura grounds and the like. You know, this stuff never gets on the radar. There's clearly out of the Hunter Valley an incredible story of our people assisting with the opening up and the exploration of Australia as a nation. You know, it's, it's not there. Why isn't it there? There's more to life than running around looking for stone objects that in most cases are fragments of objects or fragments of tools that have been created and left or disregarded. I mean, they're mining for artefacts. We're not mining for that. We're mining for our livelihood, who we are, how we fit in this world. And it's, it's about time that came out. For Meet the Mob today, I'm with Scott Franks. He's a Wanarua man, born and raised in Singleton. I'm putting myself in the shoes of a young Aboriginal girl, boy, up the valley that's part of the successful claimant group. They're at school, they're a teenager, life's going on, playing sport on the weekend. How does this claim impact kids like that? Look, I think those kids um, now need to think about first and foremost that this claim has now identified a society. We are here. I think the benefit that's going to onflow from this claim is going to be that, you know, there's going to be a guarantee or more importantly an opportunity to, for employment, for scholarships, for getting back on country and doing things, understanding their culture again, having their old people come back in and start reteaching and, and letting them know what the law of the land is all about. 
But I think it, it, it has opened some magnificent doors now where major industry are finally sitting back looking at ways to work with us, which they are, some of them, to ensure that there is opportunities so that our kids have got somewhere to go when they finish school. Because it's all about keeping our families together, not sending them off to the big city um, to look for work and, and the like, but keeping them in their own country, looking at opportunities for them and opportunities that we can help them develop and even skill up in other areas so that they can promote, in some cases, possibly opportunities for businesses so that they can develop those with industry and work in harmony. Give me some practical ideas of business opportunities that you can see, for example, that might keep young people up the valley in jobs because this place has one of the highest unemployment rates when it comes to young people in the whole state. Look, I think the unemployment position in landscape is going to change dramatically in the next six months with us. I mean, we're, we're looking now at um, projects where we're going to have people back on, on country uh, with land management projects. Um, I, I don't want to disclose too much, but they simply will be putting back, um, rehabilitating the lands, learning about the land, um, developing industry within those contracts which will off flow into their own business, so they'll be learning business skills, how to manage their own business, how to even become operators on mining operations, and be promoted up through their business and assisted for once to ensure that they have the practical skills to run a business to protect it, to make sure it's viable, it has an income, and it's self-sufficient in the shortest possible time with as much help as they can possibly get that we can give them, or bring in external help to shore that up because the ultimate game here in the end, I mean forgetting about the negotiations with mines and all that, you know one of the primaries in my head is, is to ensure that the, the people within the claim group, the younger generation that comes through is protecting the longevity and ensuring that those people have something to go to, whether it's their own business or an actual committed job supporting industry it should help take the relief off the unemployment. There are stacks of opportunities out there, but industry's been strangled by certain policies and procedures that just, you know, they, they bog down a process which is so simple. Have you actually got the people resources with the skills to undo those bottlenecks with the native title claim under your belt, so to speak? Oh, look, I think we've got a you know, a big office of solicitors in Sydney that are certainly going to undo that bottleneck. I mean, it's a bit hard to turn around in that conference room when you go down there. But look, I think it's all going to come back to industry being fair income. They, um, there is a process as we speak in place looking at those bottlenecks where, you know, as a claimant, we certainly have a responsibility both traditionally and also legally. We're looking at those options right now to just see where some of this congestion is happening. And from a, from a claimant perspective, we're seriously going to look at um, what's going on, why there is no benefit here and what we can do to assist. And in some cases it may actually result in, in some operations, you know, looking at their approvals and, and how that could flow into um, working with the claimant group to guarantee employment and opportunities along with training. I mean, that's, that's the key to this. It's come to the table. Um, we're always open for a discussion and um, if they're fair income, we're there. And you think there's enough young middle-aged, older, <laughs> Aboriginal people in your claim area that want to do those jobs, that are up for it, that are up for being at the table and then going through? Look, Jill, I, without a doubt, I think we're going to be struggling to find people because there's that many people and that much opportunity. I think it's about time that people just took a breath, 
had a look, let's just do tag a few things and just move on with this. And just, you know, I think in probably 12 months' time, it's going to be incredibly interesting just to see what the employment ratios are like up here with working with our claimant group. You've been listening to a 1233 ABC Newcastle podcast. For more, visit our website at abc.net.au slash newcastle.